0: Would you take your Bible and open to Romans chapter five? I looked at some past sermons that I've preached on Good Friday, contemplating different components of the crucifixion, looking at the crucifixion through the eyes of those who were witnesses to that event and trying to see what was going on in their minds, and then backing up from that close-in picture to maybe looking at the cosmic realities of what took place on that Good Friday. Today I want to look at the crucifixion in a little different way, using Romans 5 as our text. Would you follow along as I read Romans 5, verses 6 through 11? For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Father, as we celebrate in the church calendar this night in which we remember the crucifixion of our Savior, I pray that you would lift the scales from our eyes, Lord, The those who have read and have known of this event but yet have been unmoved would now see for a first time with new eyes the realities that... Our sins have been paid for by the blood of our Savior Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who have heard the story again and again and again that we would never lose sight of what has taken place so that we could continuously give glory to your name. Help us, Lord, as we examine your word to be changed by it and not left the same. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You probably remember maybe reading a story in the news that I picked up last week concerning the tornadoes that hit North Carolina. From the Associated Press, the Reverend Darren Whitehurst has lost much of his church but not his faith. The minister spent Saturday night digging some of his parishioners' Out of the rubble of their homes after a tornado roared through birdie county north carolina almost half of the 45 people killed by storms in six states over the weekend died in north carolina on sunday he helped with greater winds Grove baptist church's service which had to be held outside the church couldn't use its worship building which was damaged or its education building which was demolished the steeple was swept away by the wind and hasn't been found Whitehurst said it's been a trying night it's been a bloody night but God is still good that that quote struck me because we live in such a time and age in such a location that we can feel very safe and insulated and for many reasons that I want to look at tonight we have a hard time understanding The reality of the crucifixion. I think we have a hard time really coming to grips with what that crucifixion means. We live in modern America. We live in suburban Johnson County. We live in a Christian culture that has some real challenges when it comes to how we view Christ's death for us. For example, I don't know if many of us have had blood on our hands or can can think of the last time that our hands were bloodied other than a paper cut or when we saw that blood we didn't immediately put a band-aid over it because our child was crying when we think of blood and sacrifice we think of ancient times we think of pagan places we think of far-off lands if that ever still happens today any kind of sacrifice we live in a sanitized culture Every classroom down the halls here has a pump that you can sanitize your hands as soon as you get the least bit of germs on it. But what we see in the crucifixion account is anything but sanitized. We live in a sterilized, sanitized, educated... I mean, we are philosophically enlightened. We are understanding through knowledge and science how the world functions and and what is going on around us and and we can we can parse out what took place in those last hours of jesus life and examine it academically scientifically and come up with some very cold hard facts but do we understand what took place on that hill When our Savior bled and died. Paul does a good job. Who, 30 years after Jesus' death, still understood that his death and the shedding of his blood is what makes all the difference for him, even today. Let's walk through this section and let's get a real picture of who we are. Let's look at what was the cost and what was accomplished. And then finally, think of how to respond. You see, in Romans 5, starting with verse 6, we have a a real picture of who we are. Again, in our sanitized and thinking better of ourselves than we ought to, probably, culture, when we read, for while we were still weak, we think weak. Well, that's for somebody who is infirmed. That's for somebody who is handicapped. Somebody who is just, not able to care for themselves, it's certainly not me. We have every reason to say that's certainly not me. When I look at the commentaries as they describe weak, infirm, feeble, helpless, powerless, surely I don't fit that description. But again, this is what Scripture says, who Scripture says we are. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly now wait a second the ungodly they live over in kansas city missouri and kansas city kansas they don't live out here in the suburbs ungodly people are you know those who are breaking the laws and they're the ones on youtube getting in all the brawls in the restaurants that's not me that's not us we're more sophisticated than that we've got our acts together sure there might be some white collar crime around here but ungodliness no no certainly not us Verse 7 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Oh, there you're getting at something. Though perhaps for a good person. Yeah, I don't want to be so vain as to call myself a righteous person, but I guess I could call myself a good person. We have good people here. But, in verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Sinners? Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified as blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? Me? Why would I need the wrath of God on my petty existence? Verse 10. For while we were enemies. Really? I've never been shaking my fist mad at God. Or at least not so anybody could see. Enemies a strong word. One commentator says it's that conscious hostility of one who hates or opposes another. Haters of God? That's in the Middle East. That's not here in Johnson County. We don't hate God. We make Him look more in our image so we can get along with Him and so that we can be friendly with Him. But enemies, enemies means that we're, we're separated, We're we're... There. there's a battle line and and God's on one side and I'm on the other side? Can that really be true? Am I separated, alienated, and unreconciled from this God? Boy, it's hard for us. I want to go back to verse 7. I want to be, well, I won't call myself righteous, but at at least a good person. We have... An inaccurate view of who we really are. Uh, Barnhouse in his commentary on Romans used this illustration concerning reconciliation. This is what's taking place in verses 10 and 11 that we are reconciled and saved by his life. We have been brought back together again with a God who we have left. Is there a chance for us to be reconciled if this is really true of us? Sinners, enemies, deserving the wrath of God, weak, ungodly. He said that a beggar has a chance with a princess if by some miraculous Aladdin-like experience he's able to win her heart. Because at least they, they share the same nature. But the difference between us and God is not just one of he is utterly holy and I am a sinner, but he is the creator and I'm the creature. How can I be reconciled to someone who is not even of my own nature? And that's where the good news of Christ's coming and becoming God with us and taking on flesh and sharing our nature comes into play so that we can be reconciled to God. And who does the reconciling? You know, Paul is the only one in the New Testament that talks about and uses this word reconciled. And every time it's used, it's used an action that God does to us. It's never how we reconcile with God because God doesn't need to be brought in our direction. When we think of it in our relationships, when we have to reconcile two people who aren't getting along, you give a little and you give a little, and we'll meet somewhere in the middle, right? God's reconciliation with us is completely different because God is infinitely holy and righteous, and he, did never, he has never done anything but good to us, and we're the ones who are the sinners, the ungodly ones, the enemies, the enemies the ones who have opposed him, and we deserve his wrath and curse because of that sin. But God turns towards us, and he makes the first move. Look again at our passage here, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 6, he had already established that it was just at the right time Christ died. And in verse 8, he establishes that that time was when we were still sinners. Not when we had cleaned ourselves up. Not when we got our act together. Not when we made ourselves lovely or lovable. But God demonstrates, God shows. That word is rich with proof. God proves himself and his love towards us that he takes the first step, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all of God. It's what he has done. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded in the fall. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. How do we come? We come as needy, broken people. It's so countercultural for us to, to really admit our need. We don't want to admit that we have any need. We don't want to admit we have a, a physical need, a, a financial need, and we just can't admit that we have a spiritual need. But that's who God looks to, to save. What did it take to reconcile us to God? Again, verse 6 Christ died. Verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. See, I can think of it in accounting terms. I can put this in banking terms for you to understand. You had a debt that you could not repay because it was infinite. And God, in his grace, paid that debt completely. And maybe in our culture that that fits very well because I can see my sin problem is a debt I owe to God. God pays it. Thank you very much, God. I'm glad you got the bill. Um, I'll get it next time. Or this mentality that really I was just a little short this month and I needed some help. And God was there just at the right time to kind of bail me out. Well, I want you to put aside that financial illustration because... Jesus does a good job in handling that debt that we could not owe, could not pay, that that he pays for us in the parables. But I want us to think of our problem with God and the way that he would reconcile us is through sacrifice, through blood. It must be the blood of a spotless lamb that could make us right with God. And again... That doesn't fit. We don't deal with blood. I like to get my meat from the grocery store all cut up. I don't want to do any of the cutting myself. But when we see and we read during this week of all weeks, the blood and the gore. My daughter comes home with her Holy Week book. And Megan was going through it this morning with us and showing what happened this week. And we get to the page where there's the crown of thorns. And my seven-year-old can understand that that had to hurt a real lot and that there was blood that came out and that there was a whipping that happened and that his back was tore open and that when he was put on the cross, he was nailed there. And as he was hanging there, he was suffocating. And as he was suffocating, he pushed to grab a breath, but he pushed onto those nails that were driven through his leg. Each component of this doesn't register with what we see on a daily basis. Even if you were to see blood, you'd go right to the hospital. And as soon as you go to the hospital, we're cleaning up the blood, we're stitching it up, we're, we're, we're sanitizing. We, we have this biohazardous waste uh, disposal kit all around our campus because we can't stand the sight of it. And pain? Oh, as soon as there's a little bit of pain, we make sure that we're taking care of that and nullifying that as soon as we can. Pain and blood don't register for us. But if it were just about the physical blood and the physical pain that Jesus suffered, we may be able to relate to it somewhat, even if our culture makes it hard for us. But here as creatures, this is where it becomes difficult for us to see our Savior As God, man, the Son of God hanging on the cross and saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not hearing back from his Father. As one person said, that was the first and the last time he didn't hear from his Father. The soul anguish that our Savior went through, I can't comprehend one who has been in perfect communion with his Father from all eternity past, would reach a moment where his Father's voice would be silent to him when he cried out. It was Christ's suffering, the blood that was spilled. It was his death that saved us from, verse 9, the wrath of God. Oh, we have a loving God. We have a kind God we have a god who is like a like some jolly white-haired grandfather that you run up and sit on his knee but wait a second where was the wrath of god where is the wrath in our culture in our minds for sin we're not angry enough about sin we haven't even scratched the surface at how god's wrath comes to bear for sin until we look at the cross and all that our savior underwent for our sakes. What should we do to respond to this blood being shed? It resulted in us being reconciled to God, for us being justified before Him, made righteous in His sight, being saved. That's what happened through Christ's work. How were we to respond? Verse 11 says this, More than that, I'll back up to verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. By the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have reconciliation. Last week I was talking to our... Children at Chapel at Heritage on Tuesday. And I put in their bulletins, Good Question Mark Friday. How are we to look at the death of Christ, of His bleeding and dying, as as anything that could be good? And we just have to go to Romans 5.11 and see that we can rejoice in God. We must rejoice. Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that what He has accomplished for us by His blood is something that's worth singing about. It should bring us joy. Yes, somber reflection, but but ultimate and complete, real and lasting joy. Don't be afraid to sing about the blood of Jesus. Don't be afraid to rejoice in what He has done in dying for us. You can sing with a smile on your, on your face. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. That sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. We're going to sing those very words. And I pray that God would give you the heart to be able to rejoice over what seems so difficult for us to embrace.